Hi, I'm Alice from the Postdoctoral Development Center at Queen's University Belfast and you're listening to episode 19 of the Theory of the Postdoc Evolution podcast. It was recorded in November 2021 and features an interview by postdoc Claire Tonry of Dr. Cheryl McFarlane. Cheryl used to be a postdoc at Queen's before moving to Almac Diagnostic Services, where she is now an essay development and validation manager. She talks about her role, about working in industry, and especially focuses on the recruitment and progression processes in the company. It is a longer episode than usual, but the feedback from live attendees was so positive that I didn't want to shorten it too much. Enjoy! So hi Cheryl, um, I'm just going to start by asking you some questions uh, about your academic background. So mm -hmm. you did your PhD in postdoc here in Queens. So maybe you could um, give us a bit more detail on what your what kind of research you did when you were here. Yeah, OK, so um, I suppose after my PhD, um, my, my postdoctoral work, I suppose, my real focus of interest was on self-signaling. That, that was kind of what um, I was really excited about. Um, kind of liked signaling pathways. My background had been biochemistry, um, but during my PhD kind of getting more experience in um, in molecular biology techniques. Uh, so after my PhD, I got a postdoc position um, with, with Jim Johnson um, in, in immunology. So this would have been even predating CCRCB. Um, uh, and I joined, I joined Jim's group. And I suppose Jim had a speciality in amubiquitination. So um, in relation to immunology and specifically in, in cell signaling. So for that position, I kind of started to build an expertise in deubiquitination, but all centered around kind of cell signaling and identification of novel pathways. So it took us kind of into the area of small GTPases and into the cancer fields. So whilst we were an immunology group, it very much took a cancer focus. And when you work on, I suppose, on the deubiquitin enzymes, I suppose when we're looking at 15 years ago, were still relatively novel and being discovered. So there was um, a lot of room there for, for research. So we basically followed the project where it took us, which is more into the cancer field. My time with Jim was really um, insightful in that um, he had come from an industrial background. And I suppose mm -hmm. he had just come back to academia. He'd been working in, in industry in the US and came back to Queens um, to start an academic group. And at the same time had fusion antibodies as a spin-out company. So very much there was um, always the focus on translational research. So there always had to be an end goal of a diagnostic test or a new therapeutic target. And I suppose I, I think it's really helped me with my career now because I've, I've, I've always had that instilled in me all along. We during my postdoc, I suppose there was an emphasis on securing your own your own funds and essentially to secure your position. So I had a lot of experience in kind of grant writing, um, and along with Jim, kind of secured funding to secure my um, my continued kind of academic posts with him. So I did a couple of postdoctoral fellow fellowships with um uh, with Jim, and again notably, um, we tended to secure funding that was industry led. So I I had funding from um clinical research um, arm of um, of CRUK um, from the industrial side. And again, that was gave me like a nice insight into kind of industry. So it was in an academic setting, but because we were driving toward a diagnostic test, we had milestone driven um, communication of results and, and budget. And um, I think that kind of set me well for kind of the, the transition to industry. 
Yeah, and then after that, I moved to um, work with um, Richard Kennedy in the CCRCB. Um, so Jim at that stage moved back to industry and there was an interest in ALMAC. It was a joint venture between ALMAC Discovery, ALMAC Diagnostics and Queen's University. And there was a, a Invest NI funded project um, where we were focusing on looking at deubiquitination as potential um, therapeutic targets. So that was kind of right in my area of expertise. And I suppose I worked there for three years and I'd say it's probably one of the most fulfilling kind of aspects of all of my kind of research career um, to date because we were able to generate targets that then ALMAC Discovery have then gone on and developed small molecules too. So it was nice to really see that move forward. Um, and then from then, I, I that was when I kind of transitioned across, across the industry after that final postdoc. Yeah, so I, I was going to ask if you'd, um, you know, previously in your early postdocs had intended on a career in academia and, and what kind of shifted your intention then to go to a more a non-academic role and um, I suppose as yeah. you very loud was a natural yeah, progression. Yeah it was kind of a natural progression yeah it kind of happened that um, all of the, all, I think it was, Jim was a big influence there and even then going to work with Richard, Richard also had a joint position with Almac Diagnostics at the time so all of my postdocs had that industrial element to them so they were all pure academic research but very much driven to having a meaningful result that was going to impact potentially a patient in, in the near future so whether that be for the identification of a novel target or a novel diagnostic um, so I think that really kind of helped drive I liked I liked doing research the basic research but I very much was interested in making sure that it was translational and that there was there was a route forward for it um, and so when you were um, considering then leaving academia, was that kind of, was there a position sort of there in ALMAC to kind of naturally progress to or did you have to yeah. look for it so yourself? I'll, I'll be honest, um, for, I had been in um, postdoc for 10 years and I have to say like I, I was very much, um, I love, I love the academic research side and I, I, I loved being in the lab. I loved being like doing the techniques. It wasn't even that I particularly wanted to get away from from the bench. Um, a lot of it came from the insecurity, I suppose, of mm -hmm. the the kind of grant cycles. Because I suppose at the time as well, we'd been through quite a few rounds of putting in grant applications that were getting high scores, but due to the funding at the time that um, they still weren't being awarded. And I suppose there was that element of having done it for for quite a long time, and even if the research was deemed to be high quality and still getting challenges secure and funding. I suppose I wanted to move into something that was a little more secure in that sense, but that would still allow me to do re to do kind of um, scientific work essentially. So at that stage, it's almost why I reached out to, to Alice um, in relation to speaking of the Postdoc Society, because I had um, been involved in when we set up the Postdoc Society um, many years ago and our challenge was almost knowing what routes to go down for a career and having looked at what you have on offer now, it's you're so well informed and you have a, a really comprehensive um, and thorough overview of your options. At the time we didn't really um, and I suppose even when, when I was looking for jobs I wasn't sure in industry what some of the jobs meant, um, what my skill sets were for and it almost with working with, with Richard Kennedy at the time he had said well that's actually right in your area of expertise. Um, the job had been advertised so it was there were two positions advertised one in clinical testing and one in assay development and validation and he'd say, well, yeah, it's right in your area of expertise because it's it's developing novel assays, it's working across multiple technologies. Um, and it was really once I started to explore what that job was, and I, the more I read about it, the more I thought, 
well, actually, I, I think I'd really like that. <laughs> and then I applied for the position and, and was appointed. Um, so yeah, it was in many ways, it wasn't a rational approach. It was, I've always been driven by what, what I'm interested in and what, enth what enthuses me. And, and it's just almost um, the fortuitous interactions I've had with people that have almost exposed me to new options that I wasn't necessarily aware of. And then, so just before I ask you specifically about your role in Alma, could you maybe give us an idea about what Alma Diagnostics as a company do? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so we, we're a personalised medicine company and we're focused on the, the discovery, the development and the commercialisation of diagnostic assays. So that maybe sounds a bit general, but it's basically we would be looking at if you're thinking of any of these molecular biomarkers that um, a lot of the postdocs will be working on at the moment. You're working on kind of proof of concept and the validity of, of are these potential biomarkers. And essentially what we're doing is taking them to the next stage. So we'll be working. Most of our um, work is with um, Biopharma. So it's working with them on their biomarker programs. So we have a biomarker research element where we're supporting them in the identification and refinement of biomarkers. And then it's taken it to the next stage of actually proving the validity of those in clinical trials. So we will um, have a clinical trial, a CAP and CLIA accredited um, clinical testing unit um, within NAMAC Diagnostics. So we will develop all of the biomarker assays and we'll validate those, which are then, then we will run and manage the clinical trials. And then I suppose we really cover all of the diagnostic pipeline from the discovery phase right through to commercialization. So assuming that you have um, ran your clinical trials and you've um, validated your biomarker um, is associated with um, outcome or with um, response to a drug and you're taking it to the next level and you want to get it commercialized um, and approved by the FDA, um, we will take that product right through. So it's a, it's a nice depth of experience from the early discovery um, right through to, um, to getting something onto the market. And then just um, so can you just describe then what your like what your career progression has been since you joined Almac, like from where you started to the yeah, position you're in now? Absolutely. So I joined Almac um, as a team leader in the assay development and validation team. So in relation to what a team leader position is, it's a, would be more equivalent to like a, a junior lectureship kind of position in that you would have um, a team of maybe four to five scientists and senior scientists that would be reporting into you. And then you would be responsible for running um, different diagnostic biomarker kind of programs. So for this, I would be involved in at, at the time of validating different clinical trial assays for, for varied intensive uses. So that's where I started out initially. Um, and then I was promoted to a operations manager, which basically just kind of widened your remit, a uh, slightly um, wider team. And then after that, I was promoted again to kind of to the head of the assay development and validation unit. So it's basically having oversight of all of the, the development and validation activities that go on within ALMAC diagnostics. So it's it's the one thing that I, I I think is notable um, about ALMAC and which I find so refreshing in that there was no element of needing to be in a company for a certain amount of time before you'd progress. Mm -hmm. um, it was very much if you were performing well uh, and generating results and being effective in your job that the company invested in you and promoted were promote, promoting you. And I, I thought that was so refreshing from having spent quite a long time in academia, plugging away, trying to get to get progression and to get to get ahead to then move and think, oh, I'm performing well and I'm, I'm getting I'm getting results off the back of it. So I, that was kind of one of the, the most refreshing aspects of it, that, that kind of how, how quickly they were able to promote um, promote me from when I joined. Yeah, and I think that's nice for postdocs to hear that there is like a sort of upward progression and it's not, yeah, like you say, not depending on just how long you've been there. It's, it's very yeah. much based on your performance and your experience. 
So what's your day to day role at the moment like? Yeah, so my day to day role, I would have um, a team of around 20 people and we are responsible for validating all of the clinical trial assays that are that are validated on our UK site. Um, so for clinical trial assays, you can have different kind of grades. So we would have the retrospective use um, assays and they are used for retrospective trials um, where there's no patient treatment decisions going to be made. So we will kind of develop custom solutions and perform validation to make sure that they're robust. Once we're validated, we transfer those across to our clinical testing team and then they'll use them in retrospective clinical trials. Um, we're also involved um, and we're responsible for the development of our investigational use assays. And this is a, a whole different kind of level of validation and development, essentially, because the, the assays that we develop are directly going to impact patient treatment decisions. So this is when you would have a biomarker and depending on the result that we report, they'll be stratified to different drug treatment arms. So in relation to that, the regulatory implications in relation to the design of the assay is much, is much higher. So the scale of validation performed would be much larger and we'd also perform everything under design control and in accordance with risk management procedures, which is an essential requirement for um, from the FDA per se when you're when you're um, developing an assay like this. So they're much they're much wider projects. So we would have the RUO, the IUO assays, and then finally we have some um, companion diagnostics. And these are essentially those assays that you're trying to get to market. So they're going through a parallel approval route as you get for a for a drug the diagnostic associated diagnostic test. So we would also run um, CDX programs. In relation to when it say when we say we develop them, um, how it works is that we will work with our pharma companies and they will come to us with their biomarkers of interest. And we are responsible for providing a technical solution. So often that will be a gene of interest or, or a set of mutations or a panel of genes that, that they're interested in. And it's up to us to propose to them the best technical solution. So we operate across QPCR, NGS, Nanostring, um, Sanger, DDPCR. So we have like the full remit of kind of molecular platforms. And really um, it's our role to take on board what the sample type is, what the intended use is, and to provide them with the best technical solution. And I suppose depending on the intended use, if it's going to be for commercialization, there is a whole remit of different additional questions that you'd need to consider in relation to commercialization, such as kind of the reagents and the platform selection. So, so we're critical in, in basically establishing that up front. So that, that kind of in a nutshell is, is roughly what, what the department would do. And as I say, we've got around around 20 people in our team. As part of that, we also interact with, for all of our clinical trial assays, we would interact with our bioinformatics team because a lot of them are NGS-based solutions. So we'll be involved in them in relation to building custom pipelines. Um, most of the work that we would do tends to be bespoke custom solutions rather than off-the-shelf panels. It's kind of our, our niche area. So we'll interact with them also for our clinical trial assays because of the sheer volume of clinical tests that we have going through, we also develop custom software. Um, so this does all of the QC and reporting logic um, for our clinical trials. So we also um, are heavily involved in software development. So we'll work with the software development team in relation to building custom software that will integrate with the pipelines um, and our different molecular platforms, which is involved in, in, in reporting. So the nice thing about it, I suppose, is that our team really interacts with so many other units. We'll have bioinformatics, biostatistics, software, manufacturing, clinical testing. And I think that that teamwork is really is really important. And then they also, I suppose, the direct customer interaction. So as, as the technical leads on this, um, 
we'll be interacting with our customers on a weekly basis in relation to the strategy, the, the release of results and, and kind of the, the update on the how, how their product's developing. It sounds like a lot. <laughs> I saw the other question that I was going to have. So when you initially transitioned, like what did you find the biggest like learning curve or what, what did you find most challenging? Obviously, you had some industry experience in your postdoc, but when you moved to a fully industry role, yeah, what was that like? Yeah, it was it was very different. I would say that um, the getting the position um, initially was leveraged on my technical experience. And because of the role in asset development and validation that I've moved into, you can you can hear from how I've described it. It's all about developing something from scratch, moving across any molecular platform, analysis of data. Um, so all of that was stuff that I had experience from 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 postdoc. And um, the other bit that I'd had no experience of was working in a regulated environment. Um, the level of, of of oversight of working under a quality management system, the validation of our instrumentation, um, the documentation trail um, that we would have um, for data integrity. So all all of those aspects um, I I had to to learn straight away. Um, that being said, we're very much set up in Almac to teach that to the new staff kind of coming in. So there, I was trained on all of that kind of on entering into the company and then it was just a case of kind of applying that. So it was a steep learning curve initially, but I actually found it quite refreshing to learn something a little different. And it meant that we could merge kind of my expertise, I suppose, in from the technical side with all of the industrial experience. Um, so so I thought that was kind of, that was being very refreshing when I first moved into the role. What you think the pros and cons of academic research and industrial research are? So like, you know, what, what you feel are the main differences? Hmm. Oh, um, I think academic research, I, I think, can, there's, a, there's a definitely a thrilling aspect to it um, because you're on you're almost at the the, the riskiest part for in, in relation to risk and return because you're by the nature of it you're trying you're exploring something where, where you, you don't have a definitive answer on and your hypothesis may work out or it may not so it's it's thrilling when you are working out something like a signal and pathway or you've identified a new target and that part is, is hugely exciting but also coupled by the downside of the returns of if when you've kind of worked through all your experiments, even though it was experimentally and the quality controls were, were valid, but the hypothesis doesn't was wasn't just as robust or something, that 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 can be kind of a challenge and and, and a downside. And also to be honest, the limitations in relation to what you can access. I find that when as a postdoc, you kind of did a little bit of everything. So you did your own data analysis. You maybe had some support from biostats or or maybe a bioinformatician, but you very much, when you were interested in a new area, the onus was on you to, to gain the training in that yourself and to drive kind of almost into areas that weren't necessarily your expertise to become a, a mini expert. And what I like, and one of the most notable things I went moving across to Almac was that when it came to setting up a project, you had an expert team that was assembled. So when you want a new project you have to do, that you're assigned to, you sit, you bring in an expert bioinformatician, a biostatistician, a software developer, and then you can work with them. So you're, you're really kind of harnessing everybody else's expertise on tap, which I really find refreshing that you didn't have to have to do everything on your own and the length of time it would take you to maybe not quite get something right. So that part I find really refreshing that you you have that expert team sitting there. And I suppose the other big thing is the challenges with, with funding. And I don't mean funding as in personal funding to secure your position, but I mean in the reagents and resources and platforms. Before, if you wanted to do something that was quite expensive, 
we hadn't we haven't write like a grant proposal for it or and the time frame for that whereas we're able to be very dynamic in industry so i from we will propose and research the best technical solution and if that means getting in a new line of instrumentation then i can make the business justification for that and we'll we'll get that instrument in and we'll get trained on it and we'll run it so i find that bit refreshing and quite exciting to be able to um, have the freedom to, to explore areas that may there may have been boundaries in if you'd been in, in academia. I think and it, so that, that it all sounds very, very nice. And I, I hate to ask a ne negative question, but like <laughs> what like what would you say do you find most challenging? Because um, not every job can be perfect. So like, of course. What, what what would you find most challenging? And then what mm. kind of support do you feel you have to get through those challenging okay. aspects of your job? Yeah, I would say the most challenging thing, I suppose, for us would be would be meeting timelines. Um, in that we have, um, we're working with pharma partners who these are huge programs for their for their for their drug programs, and you have a first patient end date um, for your clinical trial to start, and that first patient end date does not move, <laughs> but often there can be delays, maybe with contract signing or or even the shipping of samples to us to get to get underway with some of the validation work, but the first patient end date doesn't move, so sometimes you'll get a compression of your timelines because the, the the start of the project kind of creeps in where you haven't been able to start on time, but the end date stays the same. And I suppose the challenge is, is making sure that we still deliver on time because it's an absolute requirement that we deliver for our pharma partners and very much conscious that, um, that there's a patient at the end of this. So it's a case of then being dynamic and 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 flexible to the kind of the, 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 the change in needs almost of your pharma partners because you can understand why the first patient end date can't move. <laughs> so you have to basically move everything else around. So it, it can be challenging, but at least we're empowered to do that. So maybe in another scenario, like in academia, you don't have the option of pulling more people into a project. Whereas in industry, I can say, oh, well, we, we've had delays or challenges at the start, so we haven't been able to start on time, but I'm going to resource up on this project. I'm going to pull in more scientists and we're going to meet the same timeline. So there's a challenge, but yet there, there's mechanisms there to enable us to still meet, meet our end goal. And do you at this point, do you want to actually describe a bit more about the roles that are an offer in, I don't know if it's your team or just in the company in general? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I suppose I didn't want, I'm not here almost to convince postdocs so you should move to industry because, because I loved academia so much. I totally know that it it's for certain people and that they're not going to want to move out of it and I wouldn't want to convince them to but it's more wanting to speak to those people that maybe have an experience and maybe are interested in in industry but they don't quite know what we do as a company and almost I find what I found personally before I moved into industry is what do the job titles mean and where should I be pitching myself um, in relation to to roles am I pitching myself too high or too low um, so I'll give you kind of an overview at the moment we have a huge expansion in Almac Diagnostics um, and we have been recruiting massively um, over the last year and that's across all departments now I'm speaking from the wet lab um, side of the company so I'll maybe kind of deal with that piece first mm -hmm. um, so we have been recruiting um, across all levels so that would be um, technicians scientists senior scientists and even team leads and managers um, over, over the last year. And it's across all of our kind of wet lab departments. If I can maybe give an outline of what each of those kind of classes of job are um, for category. And then after that, I'll maybe give a description of a couple of the specific um, sub departments within operations mm -hmm. that are looking for staff. Um, I'd say based on this being kind of the, the, the postdoc society, um, people are probably more interested in the science scientist level positions and up. So 
for for the company, we tend to recruit usually at more the scientist level, occasionally at the senior scientist level, and it simply comes from the amount of experience that you need to get in the industrial way of operating. You always have to invest in that training and it's quite hard to decipher someone's level of experience. So usually we tend to recruit at a more junior level, but you would have a more rapid promotion once you move into the company. It, it tends to be the, um, how we normally would operate. That being said, at the minute we're expanding so rapidly that we're actually recruiting across all grades. So for the scientist and level posts, usually that's like a graduate level position for maybe someone with an an undergraduate degree with experience maybe in industry or um, someone who's completed a PhD. The senior scientist positions um, tend to be for people that have a little bit more experience because we're relying on you having an expertise in maybe a particular area. So that could be maybe a real strength in NGS and you've 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 been running NGS projects for a few years. Um, so you'll be able to come in and act on a more senior level. So that again, that could be targeting more to someone that's done at least maybe one postdoc or um, or or more. And then the, the final one I suppose would be the team leader position. And for this one, we suppose we'll be targeting someone that has not only the, the molecular skills and the technical skills, but it's all of the soft skills as well. So are they used to managing a budget? Have they been managing timelines? Have they had to supervise other staff? So it's really someone who's got a more experience in actually managing a wider project and has a, an understanding of the kind of the wider scale of what you would have to do for a project and they're used to um, organising multiple people, meeting deadlines, um, controlling budget, that that would be kind of more more the level of person. So if that gives like a rough idea of for everyone that's interested of where you might sit um, almost, um, if anyone is interested, I would look at that the ALMAC website um, because we have those um, coming up kind of every um, every few weeks. And what is the recruitment process like? So in terms of once you've submitted your CV or application, um, yeah. like what's, is there, I presume it's an interview process or is there multi-steps? Yeah, it's an, it's, a, it's an interview process. So once you've put in um, your CV, there's a shortlisting criteria and essentially um, we will shortlist people for interview based on essential um, and desirable criteria. Um, and then they go through um, an interview, usually with two to three people. Um, on the interview panel um, and after that interview process um, they will be deemed appointable or not so it's actually quite a quick process. I'd say the ads don't tend to go up for a long amount of time so we because we work quite rapidly so the ads will maybe only be live for maybe a, a week or two weeks at the most um, so that's it's more if you are interested to keep um, to keep an eye out because we don't tend to have the ads open for a long amount of time we'll tend to do um, short recruitment campaigns so the ads will be ads will be live for a week or two weeks and then We'll close those ads, interview, and then reopen again. So that's kind of the phase we're at at the moment, where we're just in the middle of appointing, and then we're about to put out our ads for the next round of recruitment. So, so where should we, where should postdocs look for those ads, and where's the best place so to see them? I was going to say they're advertised, they're advertised on LinkedIn and NI Jobs, but also they're on the Almac website. So, um, yeah. And then, so the other question is going to ask is about the the sort of qualities a postdoc you ha would have just from their experience that you think would make them kind of very suitable for the roles that you're advertising. Yeah, so within operations, it's very much it's very much technical. Mm -hmm. um, so I've, I've kind of given you a feel for the platforms we have. So QPCR, DDPCR, Nanostring, NGS, Sanger, they're kind of the, our, our stable kind of molecular platforms. Um, so if you have experience in these, that's what we value um, most. 
again, as you kind of as I've outlined for the different roles, the more the more senior roles will require more of the softer skills as well that we would we would refer to. So organizational skills, timekeeping, budget, supervision of staff, things like that that would kind of um, would be additional skills that we would see sitting alongside your technical. But for, for all of the positions from the scientist level right through, it's it's real investment in that technical know how because that, that's our company's built on on bespoke solutions and being on the cutting edge. So so that's kind of what we would value um, most from for our scientific staff. Um, and then just on the technical aspect, like is there um, training for some maybe people don't necessarily have an NGS background, but they might be, you know, because they're technical and scientist skills are probably absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. So I was going to say the um, we will have training programs for all. So even if um, even if you have been a postdoc for for several years and you've been working in a lab for years and years, when you come in, you still do a pipette competency. <laughs> when you work in industry, we we train everybody and you sign off everything. So um, we will even if you've been doing extractions and QPCR or NGS for years, you come in, you still go through an official training program um, and you set a competency to show that you can um, you can perform. Um, each one of the respective techniques. So that training program is there and I suppose we don't expect that someone will have all of those, but it's having a strong fundamental understanding of molecular biology and if they haven't experienced at least one of these, um, then that would be that would be desirable um, for us. Um, and again, we, because we will train you on all of these procedures in-house anyway, obviously the, the more experience you have and especially there's, a, I suppose there's a difference from a scientist's position of maybe having run, um, used to run on a, on a platform like QPCR um, versus someone who's maybe had a lot of experience in primer design and bioinformatics as well as the QPCR and the data analysis. So yeah, there can be kind of grades of experience in each one of those as well. Um, but definitely that's kind of, we, we don't expect you to be experienced in the, in all of them. And indeed, we also consider things that maybe like even basic molecular skills like cloning and mutagenesis and you know, basic, a basic understanding of molecular biology techniques and, and um, good molecular practices are, are, are highly valued. And in, in terms of the more senior roles um, for the soft skills that you obviously have to develop, mm. do LMAC support training in that or is there things that you would recommend postdocs should try and add to their CV in the meantime while they can, you know, courses? Yeah, and stuff? I, th I think a lot of those soft skills just come from really running a, running your own project work well. Um, mm. And I think when you're in an interview, just being able to demonstrate those skills and very much using um, kind of my tip for interviews as well as to be able to speak to examples as well. So rather than what you'll find is um, when you're interviewing a lot, it's people talking in buzzwords of their experience in time management and things. But it's nice if you can say and have appreciation for time management. And this is an example of um, of how I had to meet challenge and timelines and what action I took and how I so it, that kind of would be my tip that when you're when you're trying to communicate all those soft skills that you have um, that you've acquired that you're able to pull out examples so that the interview panel can really get a sense of your ownership and and your depth of experience um, rather than than just a buzzword of I, I I'm a good organizer and I'm good at time management if you can kind of demonstrate those with kind of examples of from from your project work and again that doesn't have to be industrial that's just about running a good research project in my mind and then um, I think it's evident from what you said so far but I presume you then you don't have any regrets about leaving academia or anything or is there there's nothing you would change about your current role Oh, no, I think I, I'm I'm very happy in my current role and um, and as I mentioned before, it wasn't necessarily planned. It was more something that was fortuitous um, mm -hmm. just through the interactions of the people that, that I've met. But um, no, I definitely I kind of feel retrospectively looking back now, it, it's it's actually a, a perfect fit for me because 
it's I still um, although I'm not based in the lab anymore, I'm totally desk based, but I still get to see um, all of the cutting edge te technologies and um, and the generation of the results and um, and even a part that I had never appreciated is I quite like the interaction with the pharma partners. I quite like knowing about their drug programs and we also interact with some of the manufacturers even um, when they're for example bringing on new NGS panels and things so I, I quite like that insight of being able to be involved in that at an early stage. Um, so yeah looking back it, it seems like the perfect path but it definitely wasn't planned that way. <laughs> Because I, I was I was going to ask if you had any advice for postdocs that are a bit on the fence and that I think sometimes you hear conflicting advice about when to leave academia. If you're going to leave, you should leave earlier in your postdoc. But I mean, obviously you were a postdoc for a number of years, so that has yeah. like no, negative totally. impacted. No, totally. The one thing I would say, kind of, I know I touched on it earlier, was that traditionally we tended to recruit at a more junior level. And I know even when I was recruited as a team lead, it was more of an exception that they just happened to have um, an opening at that time and they had a couple of positions and they did one internal and one external. So it, it does tend to be more rare. Usually we would try to promote within, which if anything I see is almost being, being in the company now, it's almost a benefit that we invest in the current staff we have and that real investment in fostering our, our internal talent. We're in a really nice situation for maybe someone who's got a lot of experience that we would very much value that we don't normally um, take the risk of going external on for the senior positions. So for example, those team lead positions, we normally are always internal. So the fact that they're going to be opening up now, it means that we are expecting people that do have been postdocing for a long time that have um, a good bit of experience in all of those soft skills um, and a real real depth of knowledge of, of kind of molecular biology and, and kind of personalised medicine. So I think that it's a unique opportunity coming up. Um, and for, for scientists, I think based on that, it, I wouldn't commit to being in academia too long because traditionally it's easier to make the move and progress quicker in industry than jumping across later because you're relying on on kind of the stars aligning and being that perfect environment of a of a company just being ready to to take to take you on almost. But we we certainly value all that kind of experience and it's almost trying to recruit people in at that senior scientist or or team lead level because we as I say for us it's all technical so we really value uh, all of the strengths that would come from an academic background. How long after interview would you be expected to take up the role if you were offered it? So, for example, if an applicant has a couple of months left on their grant and doesn't want to just leave their PI high and dry. Of course. Oh, no, of course. That's totally we appreciate that. And it's it's the same with any other company as well, you know, because they're um, the even if you're in another job, usually you have to give a two months notice um, for a lot of positions. So, um, so there's a total expectation of that. And it's something that um, I would encourage people to apply for the position and then be deemed appointable and then um, work out the start date after that. I mean, some in some cases we want people to start as soon as possible, but we, we very much have that realisation that people have commitments to, to their current rules. So usually people are starting within, typically within a couple of months um, of being appointable. Um, but again, I, I would I would very much encourage you to be, if you if you get yourself to be deemed appointable, we can work with you in relation to, to your start date. That's, yeah, that's, I think that's very reassuring to know. Hmm. So the other question that I was going to ask just about it. Well, sorry, I was going to actually uh, throw it back to you in case there's anything that you also wanted to say. I haven't asked a question around yet. Um, no, I suppose the only other thing that I had said I would do on behalf of my colleagues was just yeah. to highlight that I'm speaking very much on 
um, kind of the molecular biology. That's who I'm kind of targeting at the moment in all my answers. But that being said, we are also recruiting for our project management teams and also our data sciences teams. So if there's anyone here that's kind of going, this is always talks being about wet lab. That's not really my my area. Um, our our, da um, our data sciences teams are also have ads that are live at the moment. So if you have an area an, an area um, of expertise, then there's also kind of job options there. And then also the project management team um, values kind of the the molecular background as well, the scientific background, um, because they're customer facing and the nature of their role, they're interacting with all the technical teams and they need that understanding. So again, there's a couple of roles that are open for them as well. So it's just more to say that although I'm very much focused on the wet lab piece, there are other kind of options if someone's thinking, actually, I want away from the bench. Now I'd like to move into something a bit different that there's that there's options across the board. Oh yeah. So and and in terms of those other like the project management roles as well mm -hmm. that are completely not lab based, you wouldn't necessarily need project management experience. It can come from your own research experience as well. Again, yeah, exactly. I think it's just really making sure that um, as postdocs that you're you appreciate um, all of those skills that you do that come a second nature and that you're able to kind of um, highlight with your time management, your organisation, the communication skills that you have um, and all of those things that you would do on a on a regular basis that you that you're pulling those out as, as unique selling points. Um, and I think as postdocs that you you're so independently driven that you you automatically check all those boxes. So it's just making sure that you highlight those um, in the interview process. And then are there any other benefits even just in terms of like work life balance that you find hmm. since you've moved to industry? Um, that's less less stressful than a postdoc. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, so for at least it's 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 kind of set contracted hours, and I said there's there's something very nice about being um on a permanent contract and not mm -hmm. having because um I suppose for me that was there was the wearisome because I know when you're applying for grants you get your first grant in to generate your results to know that you better start writing your next grant <laughs> if you're going to have it in in time to, you know for, um so it's nice that. That, that way you can plan more long term in relation to not just your um your personal life but your your career and your own personal development within work that you, you know you're going to be committed to a job for um for a, for a long amount of time um yeah there are other benefits even like they have um like healthcare benefits um uh, in the company which are for all employees and they also have a bonus scheme every year which is for all employees um so i think things like that are are, are quite nice uh, a little boost and i like that there's um very much the the progression each year is based on on your individual performance. And I think that's refreshing that it's not about time served. It's about how individually kind of well you do um, in the job. So then, yeah, and even other things like working for a company, they have um, like they have a box in the SSE arena. So they'll they'll give tickets, you know, to, to staff for for all of the concerts and, and events that are on. And they, those are distributed across the the group and things. So it's a it's a nice company to work for. And I think um, if if anyone looks into kind of the history, but they they are kind of an ethical company and they're really invested in in kind of in human health. And so I, I think that's that ethos kind of remains with being a local company that are um, that are privately owned, that they're really invested in their staff and their facilities. So I think I think that's it's a nice company to work for. Is there any advice you've gotten throughout your career, either in academia or in industry, that, that you think has really helped you and you'd like to share? It is. It's a. It is. A, it's a tricky one, I suppose. For me, it's more about um, not being afraid to take the step into something new, mm -hmm. because I suppose it. When I was postdoc and along with kind of a group of friends, we were all in that kind of similar scenario of not really sure, but you're loving our work and things, but not really sure what the next step was going to be. And 
kind of all of us have respectfully taken the jump into a different field. So that could be myself kind of in industry, still doing wet lab work to friends doing NSL jobs, scientific writing jobs, project management jobs, and everyone kind of took the leap and they're flourishing in these new environments and kind of getting almost that confidence boost of actually realizing all these skills that you got as a postdoc, which you kind of took for granted, um, but that companies and other positions really value. So the stuff which you didn't even realize you were working on as you're doing your lab work, um, that someone is a, is a key skill for them um, that you've developed over the years. So I think it's not being afraid to kind of take the leap um, into something new because you'll you'll get the confidence boost of appreciating all the skills that you didn't realize you had um, in addition to actually learning something new and I think if you're a postdoc you you kind of have a natural inquisitive nature so it's nice to actually be able to extend that into a new discipline and, and to, to flourish in a new in a new way. Um, so I've had another question in just that's a really good answer actually by the way um, <laughs> for, considering you look like you're on the spot for a second. Um, <laughs> What is a standard progression timeline from scientist to senior scientist? So example for someone with a PhD with postdoc experience going to a graduate scientist job and then onto a senior scientist role. Yep. So this one um, is a, it's a perfect question because it, it kind of can demonstrate exactly what I'm talking about in relation to career progression. So uh, it'll really depends on the individual. So we will have people that have come in as scientists and They've maybe been a scientist for years and um, then we've had other people that come into the company and they've been promoted to a senior scientist within a year and then to a senior scientist too because we have we've bands within each grade um, the year after that so I think I think it's kind of the message is it's all about the personal performance on the job so if you come in and you're kind of recognized as someone with real talent and you're doing really well in the job then um, we, we have the ability, I suppose, to create positions um, and opportunities. So yeah, there's a couple of examples of people that have come in and it can be for me as a manager, it can be challenging then because you have to sit down with the other staff who've been there for a long time to justify why someone who's just through the door is being promoted. But um, but it's it's nice and refreshing because it's based on performance and you can at least you can point to that person and say, well, look at all of the things that they've brought to the company and look at all of their, their accomplishments since they've come in, which I think everyone appreciates. And I suppose the promotion process is, is totally transparent in ALMAC. So um, there are interviews put forward. So even if you want to go from scientist to senior scientist, we do it through internal interview. So it's very clear, everyone, you sit in an interview panel, you answer the questions and and, and you're deemed appointable. So it's it's nice then that everyone knows it's a fair playing field. But I think that's that for me was the most refreshing thing from, from plugging away in academia for years and not really seeing a lot of movement to when you go in and, and you're seen to be performing and then you just you can make you can make a leap and you can see yourself moving moving forward. So would you say it's kind of down to a candidate then to be sort of proactive about that if, if there's positions coming up to put themselves forward? Yeah absolutely absolutely and we would have very clear structure in what the what the expectations are so um, it's not it's not fluffy. We actually will lay out these are what we expect of a scientist. This is what we expect of a senior scientist. So if you want to move to that, this is what you would need to be doing. Um, and we also have an appraisal process every year. So you have the opportunity to set your own objectives along with your line manager. So to ensure that you get your own personal development and that if you want to make a senior scientist, you can be saying, I want to aim for that. What do I have to do? And then we'll set objectives, which mean that we can kind of commit to you as a company um, of providing you with those opportunities. So whether that be getting trained in a new area or getting exposed to a different part of the business. And if that checks the box then um, for you to get promoted, it also um, for us, it means that we're committed to, to assisting you with that. 
And then another question is if you applied for a scientist role, but were deemed more appropriate for another role. So, for example, project manager or senior scientist, would you be kept on file for those roles when they became available? What we would tend to do is if you've been interviewed for one position, we can recommend you for another position and transfer you across. So, but if it was in a different, if it was a different job description, then you may need to interview again. Um, it depends almost down to the interview. If you've used the same interview questions uh, and there's an, an active interview process underway, then there's a means of deeming you appointable based on your marks from the other interview. If the interview process, you're deemed appointable, but we don't have enough positions. So if we are able to recruit three people and we find five that we would like to appoint, you're put on a reserve list. So it means then if we have positions coming up a few months later, we don't have to interview. We'll, we've already said that we would appoint you. So you'll just be approached and said, do you want to do you want to take the position? Yeah, once you're in the company again, any movement across roles usually requires an interview again. But at least you're in the company, you're familiar with what the company does and what those teams do. And you have the opportunity to reach out, I suppose, to the experts in those areas um, about what it would take to move across. Yeah, so that was going to be my follow up question to that about moving across. So, you, mm. yeah, and is that something you could discuss with your line manager as well? You know, if you said I'm interested in kind of going this direction, um, yeah, or is I mean, it more appropriate to visit the line manager in the. I think it's probably best to do a bit of both almost, yeah. you know, to, to express an interest because I suppose um, for everyone, for if, you have, if you're running a team, you want everyone to be committed to want to progress in that team and, and, and to meet those team goals. So if someone is kind of interested in another another area, I think as a line manager, I'd be happy to encourage them to kind of pursue that. So it's a case of um, being able to kind of either introduce them to someone in the other part of the company they're interested in um, and then they can follow up directly with them in relation to what it would take and to move across. That being said, we have had people move between departments from from the wet lab, the operational lab to um, project management and to to BD roles um, and to logistic roles. So yeah, there, there is like a there is a fluid movement. I think once you get into the company, you kind of appreciate, oh, actually, that's a skill set and a job I didn't realise existed. And then just as someone who loves the variety of being a postdoc, i.e. the various lab, wet lab techniques, writing, presenting, is there still opportunity for these things in the scientist's roles? Yeah, so I was going to say I'm, a, I'm going to a conference next week, my first kind of in-person conference in, in a few years. So yeah, there, there's still the opportunity for um, attending conferences. It does tend to be at a more senior level, uh, more like from the team lead level that you'll you'll still attend at conferences. But um, yeah, that's very much uh, a key part of our role would be um, keeping abreast of um, of the, the current research and interacting kind of with um, our potential clients um, in relation to the, the technologies, that was a real, always a real driver for me. As a postdoc, I, I was kind of thrilled at learning something new and reaching out and getting experience in a new technology. And it's kind of what I like about Almac in that we have the ability to get whatever platform we deem to be necessary. So as I say, we have lots of instruments um, in-house that we can use. Um, and again, we can expand those when we see kind of advances in the field or a certain requirement for, for customers. So that to me is the, is the big thrill. And I suppose in my team, we are the ones that usually bring in the new technology. So I, I think that's quite exciting um, to be able to have that exposure. For me, I when you have a scientist come in or a senior scientist or a team lead, in our unit particularly, we want to have them trained in as many technologies as possible. So for for someone who's interested in the job, it's nice because I suppose you that personal development, if you're interested in that, that you get that kind of variety of work that you'll be involved in and the variety of training. 
But for a company as well, it means that we can be agile um, and that it means that when a customer comes to us with a potential biomarker, that I can re react to that because I have everybody trained in everything. So, um, so it's something that I'm, I'm personally very much invested in for, for, for my team. So would you say then that uh, the day-to-day -day job of, a, of someone working in a, as a, in a scientist role is, is quite varied? It's not... It's, it's not kind of it's, repetitive or anything? It's hugely varied, yeah. You'll be yeah. working, the projects tend to last, you'll be committed to a project along with it, um, other scientists and, and, a, and a team leader manager. A small project would last maybe 68 weeks, a large, a medium project, six to nine months, and one of our larger CDX programs, a couple of years. So, and you, that'll be across platforms. So yeah, you'll have like a, that'll kind of give you a feel for kind of how long you'll be committed to different projects. The one thing which is quite refreshing is that you will get to interact with the likes of bioinformatics and um, so we do an awful lot of software development and your role really as a scientist or senior scientist is basically involved in helping us to write the requirements of software so we'll build up the logic that the software has to function by and then we'll generate test files so that the software development team can use for when they're validating the, the software so it's a huge part of the role um, which is which is unique to our team but there's something quite exciting about at the end having generated a final package which is your wet lab piece along with this software product and we transfer that across to our clinical testing team as if it came externally so um, so that's quite satisfying and it's nice to get skills and something that's a little different and interact with kind of a multidisciplinary team. That's all folks I hope you enjoyed Claire and Cheryl's discussion and if you want to hear more career interviews visit our website at go.qub.ac.uk slash podcast pdc or listen on apple podcast google podcast or spotify bye